Well, let me start with uh, confessing a little trepidation. Not only am I preaching the day before Craig Keener, but I'm preaching on the very same passage that he chose. So, of course, this was coincidental, or you would say spirit-inspired, but let me just say I feel a little bit like that upstart boy band with really bad hair that comes before you too, right? <laughs> you know? So, uh, come tomorrow and you get Bono, all right? <laughs> Paul's letter to the Church of Ephesus is very personal to me, and Ephesians 2 is uh, especially so. In 2008, I was helping to lead my former theological institution in Kenya when, a country ex when the country experienced a near civil war after a failed presidential election. Ethnic group was set against ethnic group, family member against family member, church member against church member. Our seminary president was trapped up country and I had to help lead our institution through those days. They were horrific days, unlike anything I've experienced. Remember one time driving downtown Nairobi, I was the only car on the road. I turned around the corner and there was a huge mob brandishing weapons coming right at me with black smoke billowing up behind. It was a horrific time and most of my colleagues just walked around stunned shaking their heads saying, we always thought we were a peaceful people. It was a scene right out of the Old Testament. In fact, roadblocks were set up throughout the country and people would stop a car, they would make everybody get out and they would make them say a phrase and depending upon how they pronounced the phrase, they would know which ethnic group they were with and whether they were released or killed. Our theological institution was trying to navigate that. We had students from all different ethnic groups as well as surrounded countries. I had never met Craig Keener before, but out of the blue, Craig emails me and says, I want to pray with you. And also, uh, my wife and I have written a book called Reconciliation for Africa, and he donated a thousand copies. We traveled around the country holding reconciliation seminars for church leaders because the problem was not just political, it was inside the church. Does that sound familiar to you? Years later, I attended the Lausanne Congress of World Evangelism in Cape Town, South Africa, where 4,000 Christian leaders from almost 200 different companies uh, countries sat at circular tables where we studied the letter to the church of es Ephesus. I was at a table and enjoyed fellowship with people from Lebanon and Argentina and Namibia and Kenya and Vietnam. And we shared with each other, we rehearsed with each other the tremendous pain and anguish and hatred in our respective countries and studied scripture together through each other's cultural lenses. I'll always reflect upon Ephesians through those two memories, one filled with incredible pain and hatred and the other one unbelievable joy and wonder. And isn't it great? Ephesians 2 takes us into both of those. 
It takes us deep into the pain, and I actually want you to come with me into pain today because that is the pathway of the cross of Jesus Christ. But I also want to take you into the new humanity that we have that Christ has produced in us by the Holy Spirit. It's not hard to see all the hatred in the world that arises ethnically and racially, but also politically through what one of my friends calls anxious tribalism, where we fight each other out of our own political tribes. Sound familiar? Our new tribes are formed by a combination of political ideology, race, social media, social isolation, and fed by toxic streams of religiosity. Before I reflect on the passage, let me just say, and you all know this, that every passage needs to be read in context. And the context of Ephesians 2 is not just that of Asia Minor, and Craig will probably talk more about that tomorrow, but it actually takes us way back in the story, and we need to go back in the story to the book of Genesis, and we need to allow ourselves to be restoried. You're taking courses like biblical narrative and missional formation, and the purpose of that is to restore us. The narratives that we daily inhabit are too powerful for anything else. Our problems of racial and ethnic divide are too thick to be encountered by thin readings of Scripture. All Scripture is a story that takes us from particularity and in the garden to universality in a future kingdom. But here's the amazing thing is that God never does away with particularity in the process, but he's actually weaving that particularity into a new universality, a a thicker form of universality where all of our ethnic and, and, and historical and cultural are validated and authenticated while also purified by the gospel of Jesus Christ. I don't have time to take us through that whole story, but let me just remind us that it's a story that involves the blessing of nations, and it involves the the alien, the stranger. It involves Gentiles. It involves a banquet of all the nations. It involves Jesus' own genealogy where women are included and Gentile women It involves the Magi and his birth, and it involves Jesus walking through and spending time with Samaritans and a Syrophoenician woman and a centurion, right? I mean, it's unbelievable, and it takes us right to the heart of the cross of Jesus Christ, which is where we're going to spend our time today. And then once the cross and the resurrection, it unleashes us in this unbelievable, such that Peter actually had a second conversion where he came to realize that now the Gentiles are filled with the Holy Spirit and they're included, and it's led to us today. What a wonderful story. So here's my point. What is happening in Ephesians 2 is not some isolated pericope, but that we can choose to spend time on or ignore as we wish, but it is central to God's story and it is central to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So let's talk about this passage, and I want to highlight three things in this passage. First of all, verses 11 through 13, Paul 
He draws upon a whole wealth, I, I, I would say a, a pregnant array of language to describe the circumstance that the Gentiles find themselves in. They're uncircumcised. They're separated from, they're excluded, they're foreigners, they're without hope, they're without God, right? Language matters, people, and we're not talking about being politically correct. Language matters because it norms us. We use language to create worlds that we want to live in. So the gospel of Jesus Christ has got to impact the language. The only way that we can justify separating ourselves from others is to create language that provides cultural or sometimes theological justifications to keep that which is separate, which never should be separated. Our world is not just defined by who our friends are, but unfortunately in today's world, especially through social media, it's defined increasingly by who our enemies are. U2 has a song, Cedars of Lebanon, that reads, that sings, choose your enemies carefully because they will define you. Make them interesting because in some ways they will mind you. They're not there in the beginning, but when the story ends, gonna last a lot longer than your friends. We've allowed our enemies to be more of a powerful influence in our lives than our friends. We like our friends, we hate our enemies. And we've actually become habituated in social and racial and ethnic division in our world. I sat in a room in Eldoret, Kenya, after the post-election violence with several Kenyan pastors, and they told stories. And one of them turned to me at one point and he said, my entire life I have been told that those people took our land, they took our jobs, they've abused us, they are the enemies, how do I change how I think about them? Our country, our nation, has told similar stories. And we have to name that. The problems of race in our country are old and deep and they're multifaceted and they're beyond me. We've allowed division to define who we are. It's ingrained in our collective psyche. Our political leaders don't know how to lead us in that and they make things worse. The problems of race in our country are problems of language, they're problems of social isolation, they're problems of economics, they're problems of history, they're problems of ideology. You're not gonna address these issues with a thin understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So here's the good news, friends. Verses 14 to 18 take us to the cross of Jesus Christ. Christ alone, through the Holy Spirit, can solve the divisions in our society. Paul places Christology and soteriology. He, he brings in pneumatology and actually leads us to ecclesiology, right? All these, ecclesi all these ologies that we study. It's kind of like Jesus asks us to walk on this thin bridge and right in the middle of the bridge is the cross of Jesus Christ and we will not get where God is making us to be without walking through the cross of Jesus Christ. And it's friends, it's going to cost us everything. 
It's going to cost us our political ideologies. It's going to cost us our comfort in who we spend time with. It's going to cost us our, our social imaginaries of how we think of our enemies. It's going to cost us everything. But this is where Christ is taking us. The cross of Jesus Christ is that which can create the new humanity. Nothing else can do it. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says there's no immediate relationships with others. It's always mediated through Jesus Christ. So every relationship we have is mediated to us by Jesus Christ and the cross of Jesus Christ. And Paul goes on and he does some interesting math. He says he has made the two groups one, or later he says one new humanity out of the two. Now I'll confess that I had to take algebra three times and I'm not very good at math, but one plus one plus one does not equal one, but with the cross of Jesus Christ, one plus one plus one equals a thicker, a more beautiful, a more marvelous, a holy, a more eternal one. We are not a bunch of marbles rattling around in a tin can. We are not one in our own ethnic or racial groups or in our monocultural churches. We are not one by allowing the more powerful to make the marginalized conform to their own form of oneness. We are not one in the name of tolerance or relativistic pluralism. We are only one through theology. We are only one through Jesus Christ. We're only one by the blood of Jesus Christ. And any time we erect new walls of hostility, we are almost saying that Christ needs to die again. And that is heresy. Because Christ died once and for all. Racial reconciliation is not some optional add-on to our theology as if we have time or so inclined. It's at the very heart of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's where God is taking this world. We cannot allow it to be co-opted by the political left or the political right. And the more diverse we become, the more we need something powerful enough to bring us all together into this oneness. And that is only Jesus Christ. And our world is becoming dramatically more diverse. It's an issue of migration, birth rates, intermarriage, and many other factors. It's like that Christmas snow globe that your grandmother's got sitting and collecting dust. God has chosen to shake our world, and he's putting us in a situation where we are forced to deal with that which we do not want to deal with. Four out of 10 Americans identify with a race or ethnic group other than white. Whites are already a minority in the US among those under the age of 18. By the middle of the century, there will be no single ethnic majority. 14% of the US population have, was born in another country, and that is growing exponentially. The percentage of Latinos and Hispanics is dramatically growing in the United States and reshaping what Christianity looks like. And that is a wonderful thing. 
My own kids are biracial, have lived in four countries on three continents. That may sound unique to you, because, but it's becoming more and more common in our world today. The more diverse we become, the more of a robust Christology we need. We need the cross more than ever before in our world. Politics won't get us there, only theology with. And the kind of theology that is lived and embodied by a diverse hermeneutic community. So where does God take us? He takes us to ecclesiology, and this is where we need to go. He, Paul draws upon a whole range of metaphors to describe what Christ is accomplishing in us. He says that we're a new humanity, we're fellow citizens, we're members of God's household. You see how he's getting more intimate, more filial. He's pushing us more and more into who each other is. Soteriology always leads in the direction of ecclesiology. The question for us is what does our ecclesiology look like? Who are we worshiping with? Do our churches reflect what Christ is doing by the cross of Jesus Christ? He ends with language of a building and not some ordinary building, but a temple. Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone holding everything together, but this is no static building that sits and erodes through the winds and the elements of time, but it is an alive building made up of Jew and Gentile, black and white, Latino and Asian, First Nation and Pacific Islander, African and European. This is who God is making us to be. And it's who we have to be at Asbury. And is it who we are at Asbury? Are we taking seriously the cross of Jesus Christ such that African-Americans come to our community and don't just say, I belong here, but that this is our seminary, where our voice is included, where the curriculum reflects who we are, that the power structures take seriously who we are, that the leadership reflects who we are, and not just for African-Americans, but for the new immigrants that are coming into this country and who are actually the hope of Christianity. Are we that people? Well, that's a question for you as students and not just for us in administration. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. This is who we are. We don't have to do anything to become this. We have to receive that which has been given to us freely. And we need to walk that pathway of the cross of Jesus Christ with each other. We often rightfully pray for revival, but there's no revival that doesn't involve reconciliation. You can't be reconciled to Christ without being reconciled to each other. So racial reconciliation is one of the most strategic signs of revival because it's allowing Christology to do its work. As we close, let me take you back to the two stories that I began with. So as we were traveling out throughout Kenya holding these racial reconciliation seminars, our community was meeting together and we were meeting in the chapel and I was the only white guy 
helping to lead and was, of course, these issues were way too complex for me. And our students took charge. And they began calling the whole community together to worship and to pray. And I remember one day in chapel standing there and seeing people confessing their sins to each other. I remember seeing a kamba, a kikuyu, a kalinjin, and a luo wrapped in an embrace with tears flowing down. And that is the cross of Jesus Christ. Well, in Cape Town, one afternoon they broke all, us, all of us up into our countries or our regions. So I was with the Africans, and I, I wish I could be so proud as to claim, be claimed to be an African, but I was with the Africans, and there we were talking about what does this look like for the continent of Africa, and the doors in the back of the room opened. And a delegation of Brazilian men and women came in, and they said, could we take the stage and ask something from you. So they went up to the microphone and they said, we can't continue to meet isolated without asking for your forgiveness for what our ancestors did in enslaving you in Brazil. Will you forgive us? And what happened next was just a piece out of heaven where people asked for forgiveness and received forgiveness where tears were flowing, and I was undone. And that is who we are. That shouldn't be an isolated case. That is who we are as a community. This is what the gospel does within us. We're a new humanity. Now let us go out and be instruments of the cross of Jesus Christ in Asbury and outside of Asbury. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray, we pray that you would do that which we cannot do. Certainly that which our political leaders can't do, but certainly in our own sinful humanity, we cannot do this. So we claim the blood of Jesus Christ. We claim the power of the cross. We lean into who you are, and we pray that you would make us into a new people. We pray this by the power of the Holy Spirit, that same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. We pray that you would do your work in our midst. Pray this in your name, amen.